0: Welcome to the Christian Mysticism Podcast, where we explore the fascinating history of Christian mysticism from the early days of the church until today. I'm Alberto de la Cruz, and I'm joined by my co host, Dr. Carlos Ayer, the T. Lawrence Riggs Professor of History and Religious Studies at Yale University. Happy New Year, and welcome to the second season of the Christian Mysticism Podcast, Carlos. Hey, happy New Year. Happy 2024. I hope you had a good Christmas and New Year.
1: Yes, very nice, very relaxing, very peaceful, despite all the stuff that's going on in the world. Yes, peace on earth came to my house.
0: (laughs) And goodwill towards men. Well, as I mentioned, this is the second year or second season of the Christian Mysticism podcast, and we're very happy to have so many of you supporting us. I want to thank everybody who's been writing to us with their support and their questions. And if you haven't done so, please make sure you click the subscribe button and the like button so you don't miss the next episode. So when we ended the year with our last episode in December, we talked about exploring more recent mysticism. And before we get into the actual mystics, I think there's a good topic that we can start with that's a fairly recent phenomenon. Why don't you tell us about it, Carlos?
1: Yeah, You know, we've been asked by several of our listeners about whether there are still any mystics around. (laughs) And actually, we'll take our listeners to an extreme on the mystical spectrum, extreme in this regard. This is a, a phenomenon that crosses religious lines. It happens to humans in all different cultures and countries on earth, and religions too. And the phenomenon is near-death experience, or NDE for short. And near-death experience is, given human history, it's a very, very recent phenomenon because it began to be reported around 1960 when cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or CPR, began to be used on dying, or actually patients who had already supposedly died uh, of cardiac arrest. And then were revived and came back with very, very detailed and weird accounts of what happened to them while they were dead. So why is this uh, included on the mystical spectrum? Well, it's included, I, in, I included in the mystical spectrum because mysticism is all about crossing over into another dimension, a dimension that is in many ways, that it's described. It's, as some of the folks who have come back from an NDE have said, more real than reality. (laughs) So it raises all sorts of questions, and good questions, too, about whether there's this very common experience that crosses religious and doctrinal lines, which takes people somewhere else and in many of the experiences, that somewhere else has a divine dimension to it. So we can't get as any more recent than this, and we also can't get more ecumenical than this, because although this reflects on Christian mysticism and the Christian religion, it's not strictly Christian. It's universal.
0: Now, can you tell us a little bit about why some don't believe this is a mystical experience because when you think of near-death experiences, a lot that I've come across have been people meeting with angels, people meeting with God, with Jesus, Satan in hell. All of these visions that, that they describe are very similar to the visions described by mystics over, over the centuries.
1: They can be, and many of them are, in fact, very, very similar. And uh, the, the curious thing is that those who try to explain them away as purely physiological, and we can get to that later, you know, what some scientists are saying to deny the reality of these experiences. It's very curious that there is so much documentation now. It is just irrefutable that this happens and that some of the events described point to something that is in fact very difficult to attribute solely to physical causes and this brings us to a whole different realm the boundary between the natural and let's call it supernatural or transnatural this is something that's going on right now this very day as we're as we're speaking who knows how many people on earth might be having a near death experience right now as You and i are speaking or as our uh, listeners are hearing this podcast but the questions raised you know uh, is this really proof of something that in the human person that survives death whether it's called a soul or it's given any other name is it for christians proof of the soul's existence because actually in christian mysticism this is you know we've gone over this uh, before many times There's this struggle between the physical and the spiritual, between the body and the soul. And mystics always ascribe the experiences they have as something that is experienced by the soul as well as the human mind. But it's really the soul that is talked about most often as being the part of the human, the human self that can transcend the body. And some of the descriptions we have, people who come back from their near-death experience, they echo a lot of what one can read in the Christian mystics.
0: You mention the body and the struggle between the soul and the body. And, and I remember from the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, how she said that it felt like her soul was being torn out of her body and the physical right. pain that was involved yeah. with it. And you wonder when you have a near-death experience or when someone has a near-death experience, their body is dead. They feel no pain. That's correct. you would have to imagine that they don't have that limitation in that vision or mystical experience, if we want to use that term, that they're having. They don't have that limitation of the body kind of holding the soul back because the body is dead. Well, and in many, many, many cases. And I don't know if there are any you know
1: precise statistics, what percentage of people who have NDEs experience themselves outside their body. And actually look on their body and they see it's dead. And we'll get to this in a few minutes. They they also see things around the very same space in which their dead body is lying. And then they come back and, and report things that there's no way that current science or medicine can explain how with no brain waves, right? Someone who is brain dead can have experienced things outside their body. And one of the very, it's it's very common. And again, we don't, I don't know if we have precise statistics on it, but yeah, painlessness is one of the key features of the NDE or near death experience. Feeling very comfortable and free of pain is on the list, top of the list of what NDE survivors describe and actually coming back to the body is very painful
0: now i know most of our listeners if not all have heard of ndes have maybe some of them have experienced it but at least know of it and have a good idea of the different types but just so we're all on the same page and we all understand what we're what we're referring to can you give us some examples of what these experiences are, or, or what are the telltale signs of it? Sure, and,
1: and again, I want to emphasize that there are differences.
0: Not every
1: NDE has the same features, but the most common ones are the following: feeling very comfortable and free of pain, top of the list; a sensation of leaving the body; sometimes being able to see the physical body while floating above it or around it; the mind. And this is key for me anyway. The mind functioning more clearly, more rapidly than usual, and the ability of comprehending vast, vast amounts of information simultaneously. A sensation, and this is very common, it's a sensation of being drawn into a tunnel or being drawn into darkness, at least initially, and feeling yourself as in a tunnel. For some experiences, a bright light at the end of the tunnel. For other experiences, darkness and other unpleasant things. But for many of them, the ones that are positive, good experiences, where they see a light and they enter this other light-filled dimension, there's a sense of overwhelming peace, of well-being, or uh, in many cases, of absolute, unconditional love being felt by the person. And again, back to the mind, the sense of having access to unlimited knowledge, and for many, also a life review or a recall of important events in the past, and for some, a preview of future events yet to come. Also, encounters with deceased loved ones or religious figures, and in many cases, at the other end, there is someone, one knew previously who had died, who acts as a guide in this other realm. And then uh, sort of enveloping all of these individual phenomena, feelings of oneness with higher being or oneness with a higher dimension and being outside of time and space, which kind of helps to explain the life review part and seeing future Events part.
0: Let me ask you, have there been any studies because with modern science and modern medicine, a lot of people are brought back to life, CPR being the first example. But now with all the other advances we've had in medicine over the past 60 years, since then, there's a lot of people that die on the operating table that are found dead and revived. Are there any studies that show... Is this a rare, are these near-death experiences a rare occurrence, or?
1: Well, we do have statistics on this, and before I go any further, we should let our listeners know that this subject has been under careful scientific scrutiny for 60 years or so, but especially in the last 45 years or so, the amount of information gathered by scientists and physicians. It's just immense. And there's actually a journal dedicated specifically for the study of near-death experiences. It's the Journal of Near-Death Studies. So we do have lots of scientific research. The problem with going very far scientifically with a near-death experience is that it is nearly impossible to do it under strict laboratory conditions. The only way you could do it, or let's say the most logical way that one could do this, would be to actually kill someone on purpose while they're completely wired up. (laughs) So in special cases, there are people who are wired up when they die. So a lot of the research focuses on the brain and what's going on in the brain and whether there is any electrical activity going on in the brain. And this is where you know later we can return to this subject. There are differences of opinion among scientists as to what is happening in the brain when someone has zero electrical activity. So there there are plenty of studies. And the statistics that we have, or at least last I checked, about last month or so, about 17% of those who nearly die, meaning those who actually die and are brought back, 17% report near-death experiences. Now, whether that's to be considered a high number or a low number, one can interpret that any way one wants. But there are at least verified 17% patients who die, who come back and report a near-death experience. And about 1 in 10 patients with cardiac arrest in a hospital, 1 in 10 report
0: NDEs. I know those numbers sound small, 17% and 10%, but when you're talking about a very extreme experience, uh, I, I think it's, at least for me, it's a significant number.
1: For me, it is too. And to mention a parallel situation, this could be a very embarrassing situation for someone, especially someone whose family is not in the least bit religious, or their culture is not religious, and they might be embarrassed to tell people that this happened. Could be akin to reporting a UFO. (laughs) You know, people could start looking at you strangely after reporting an NDE. So I think that also should be factored in. People may not want to talk about it. And later we'll return to this point too. But they happen to children, they happen to adults, they happen to scientists, clergy people, atheists from countries throughout the entire earth. And there is no denying the scientific fact, it's a fact, that what we could call a good percentage of individuals who have NDEs come back with stories
0: to tell. In those studies, did most of those NDEs happen to people that were religious? I mean, we know it happens, I've seen and read about atheists having near-death experiences and things of that nature, but is it more is there something that's more likely to happen with people who are yeah. religious who practice well, a faith?
1: Here I'm relying on scientific evidence. The scientific evidence points to the fact that religious people don't have more of these experiences than any other group of people. So in other words, being religious is not something that inclines scientifically speaking, right? Do you have a predisposition by being religious to have this kind of experience? The scientific research that I've read, the answer is no. Being religious does not predispose you to have a life after death experience. Which I find fascinating. And also when all this research has been carried out, you know, of course, they make lists of the types of experiences that people have. And one of the most common is that NDEs seem to be recalled with very unusual intensity. And clearness over decades and memories of NDEs are very, very difficult to erase. And there are studies of people who are losing their memory. Alzheimer's or some other one, a disease that impairs memory. The NDE memories remain very vivid, extra vivid
0: for a long time. From a scientific perspective, it's really quite amazing because... When someone is dead and their brain waves flatline, and then they come back minutes later or whatever time it was that they were dead, those memories are there, which you would assume the brain is not functioning. The brain cannot record these memories. That's but right. The memories of what happened in between that time, the brain was technically dead and it came back to life. Those memories are deposited in there. So a scientist looking at this has to wonder, how, how did those memories get into the brain?
1: Right, and that's where the, the debate gets very heated. And yeah, you have scientists on both sides, opposite sides, drawing opposite conclusions about what is actually happening. Some actually argue that even though we can't measure it, there must be some brain activity going on but we don't have the equipment to measure it. So that's one argument that kind of explains away the the NDE, right? This is something we just don't know because the human brain is so complex. But there are others who say, no, this means that there is something transphysical, extraphysical going on, and there has to be. And this brings us to the subject of, you know, again, what kind of scientific proof do we have? Uh, that these are not illusions. And it brings us to the subject of veridical NDEs or veridical near death experiences. What, what does that mean? A veridical NDE is one in which the person who is dead acquires verifiable information that they could not have obtained by any normal means. What does that mean? <laughs> it means the dead person has seen and heard things going on around their dead body that they could not have seen because not only are they clinically dead their eyes are closed or they're, they're actually in another room when they witness events and then report events from another room and you know one of the more uh, amazing of these stories is actually from one of the top scientists studying near-death experiences. And this is uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson, who is at the University of Virginia and actually runs the division of perceptual studies. And he was not only an editor for many years of the journal of near-death studies, but also founded the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And they have an archive there that's just incredible in the amount of information they have. But one of the more incredible (laughs) bits of information come from Dr. Grayson himself, and the way that he got drawn into near-death studies is as follows. And actually, if any of our listeners are interested, they should just look up on YouTube Bruce Grayson, G-R-E-Y-S-O-N, and there are several videos in which he actually tells this story himself about how he was introduced to the near-death experience when he was a Newly minted MD. He had just finished medical school. And this happened at the University of Virginia Hospital, which I happen to know very well because I lived in Charlottesville for 15 years. And all three of my kids were born in that hospital. What happened was as follows a young woman had overdosed on drugs and was dead. So Dr. Grayson goes to talk to her roommate to get information on the situation in that apartment you know what was happening before she overdosed and so on and so forth so he's talking to her roommate but one little item comes into the story which changed everything for him and this is this is the item he was eating lunch when his pager went off to come look at this patient who was coding dying he was eating spaghetti and the pager ringing made him spill spaghetti sauce on his tie So he put on his lab coat and went to take care of this dying woman and then to talk to the roommate. But it gets very hot in Charlottesville in the summer. And back then, in those days, apparently they didn't have air conditioning in that wing of the hospital where all of this was taking place. So he took off his lab coat and the roommate saw the stain on his tie and they they spoke about it. So I'm sure our listeners are wondering, where is this story going? (laughs) Bruce Grayson tells the story, of course, much better than I do because it happened to him. And what happened was that they brought this woman back to life and he introduced himself to her. And she says, well, I know who you are. You were talking to my roommate a little while ago and you were talking about the stain on your tie. And he said, you know, basically his whole world would be changed right then and there. How could this woman who was in a different room, dead, have seen and heard what was going on between him and her roommate in a completely different room. That's a veridical NDE. And from that point on, he dedicated himself to studying NDEs. To him, even after you know decades of studying it, it's just inconceivable in a purely physiological sense, inconceivable. That s- someone could witness things, not only while dead, but in a separate location. And of course, he's interviewed hundreds, perhaps, I don't know how many hundreds, perhaps even over a thousand individuals who have had similar veridical NDEs. So it's kind of spooky, right? And it ties also, and to bring this back to mysticism, right? It comes back to this phenomenon described by many mystics or by people who live with these mystics, that they are able to perceive things that are happening elsewhere. And it also brings us to another bit of science that during the height of the Cold War, both the CIA in the United States and the KGB in the Soviet Union were doing experiments in remote viewing as a means of spying of getting people with special abilities, the ability to do this to be in one place and see what's happening in another place. And uh, boy, there. Are th- this study went on for many, many years, and the files for all these remote viewing things are immense. But something is happening, obviously, that allows these individuals to see and hear things they're not supposed to be seeing or hearing without their eyes and ears.
0: So near-death experiences also have bilocation, <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a form of bilocation, for sure. And one can think of Maria de Agreda being asked to describe what she saw in New Mexico and uh, whether she felt rain or not. And all her answers were, yeah, of course, you know, if it was hot, I felt the heat. If it was raining, I felt the rain. So on and so forth. So there are ties between NDEs and mystical phenomena. And, you know, at this point, I should also say, I should let our listeners know that I had an NDE when I was only 20 years old. And uh, it was not a good one. I was in for surgery. I had an injury that was being repaired. And it was the first time I had ever gone under general anesthesia. So I, I got knocked out and I started going down the tunnel. And it was a spiral tunnel, kind of like the ones you see in these large water parks. And I came to the bottom there was nothing just pure darkness and i was completely alone and not only was i completely alone but i had this feeling that others describe of being outside of time i was this was eternal aloneness eternal loneliness it was very frightening but then i was also and it's hard to put like put this on a timeline when this happened but i went out of my body and i saw the operating room and i heard the doctors telling jokes about my injury. And then boom, I came back to my body, woke up making funny noises. And the doctors uh, said, one doctor said to the other, oh, I wonder if he always breathes like this. And I said, no, only when I'd have surgery. And they laughed, but it was a very scary experience. Many years later, when I went in for another injury repair and had to be knocked out, they asked me, have you ever had a, Bad reaction to anesthesia. So I described what I have just described to you and, and our listeners. And the nurse who was taking down all this information said, Oh my God, you know what happened, don't you? I said, No, tell me. Tell me what happened. She said, That wasn't a reaction to anesthesia. You probably had went into cardiac arrest and died, and they brought you back. But they just didn't want to tell you. Boy, well, my hair st- stood up on end when she told me that because I had never thought of it. You know, I had read about near-death experiences, but I thought mine was just, you know, attributable to anesthesia. But the part about, you know, seeing my own body and hearing the doctors and seeing them, that's kind of hard to explain on uh, basis of, you know, a reaction to anesthesia. That's, that's uh, what you see in all of these NDE accounts. So I myself, you know, could be subject for a scientific study, (laughs) except that hospital doesn't exist anymore and probably the records are gone.
0: It's good you brought up your experience and it's unfortunate it was a bad one, but I think it's important that even though we went through the list of some of the experiences people have during NDEs being, you know, feeling warmth, feeling love, feeling all these wonderful things, not all Near-death experiences are pleasant,
1: right? And actually, I've read, and I should, you know, I should emphasize this: I haven't read thousands of studies. I haven't even read hundreds of studies. I've read dozens, perhaps over a hundred, of accounts of near-death experiences. And there are people who uh, just don't get to the real end of the tunnel and get pulled back in. So that's my way of interpreting my own experience. Is that I got to a very real place. It was very real, but there was nothing there, <laughs> right? And uh, that was, was just so scary about it, that it was so real. And as in all these other accounts, I cannot ever forget that memory. It's very vivid, very, very there's nothing fuzzy about it.
0: Well, just like mysticism, I'm sure there are plenty of skeptics about near-death experiences.
1: Oh, yes, they they abound, and not just in the scientific community, but also outside the scientific community. And unfortunately, two of the scientists, both of them doctors, both of them MDs, who began the study of near-death experiences, came to a turn in their life where they became discredited. The first was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a doctor, a neurologist, who uh, pioneered the study uh, of death and dying? And actually, she's the one who came up with the five phases of people uh, how people react when they're told that they have a terminal illness. She came up with that. But later in her life, she um, well, she started practicing uh, spiritualism. This is a, you know began in the nineteenth century. Everybody knows about mediums and seances, right? And that's what uh, she got into and talking to the dead through mediums and so on but to make them matters even worse there was a sex scandal involved with this retreat that she had established so she became totally discredited and was actually awarded the um, loose screw award from psychology today magazine in 2005 the second was another doctor raymond moody who wrote a book in 1975, published a book in 1975, "Life After Life," which is just the beginning. It just opened the door for it's a whole genre of literature. There are hundreds and hundreds of books describing life after death experiences. His was the first, but he too got into spiritualism and into past life regressions because he came to believe that humans reincarnate after dying repeatedly. And he too became kind of discredited, but it's it's uh, Dr. Grayson at the University of Virginia who brought it back to respectability. But there are scientists who, uh, you know, very vigorously uh, deny that there's anything not physical going on. It's all purely physical. And these skeptics tend to focus on brain activity and they attribute the experience to physiological phenomena. And one of these skeptics is uh, Kevin Nelson, MD, another doctor at the University of Kentucky. And he has a way of explaining NDEs. He thinks that the key characteristics of NDEs can be explained by a sudden shift between different states of awareness, states that he calls borderland, borderland of consciousness, and that many of these NDEs, trademarks, such as the light at the end of the tunnel, can be traced back to this borderland state of consciousness, and can be attributed to rapid eye movement sleep. REM sleep is the deepest sleep that humans can go into. And when they're into this very deep state, the eyes actually move. That's why it's called rapid eye movement. And he attributes the light phenomenon to REM movements in the eyes, although a lot, you know, as far as I can tell, I've never read of a person with no brainwaves who is under REM (laughs) sleep with the eyes actually moving, but he attributes it to that anyway. The sensation of bliss, which is often called mystical feelings of oneness, he attributes to fading blood flow and oxygen as the brain fights to keep itself alive. So there you have it. There's nothing going on there other than blood flow. And here's a quote from Dr. Nelson. The assertion that our consciousness is retained without brain function has no verifiable evidence. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's a matter of faith, not science. So... That's kind of a weaselly quote.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm glad you said it. He's basically saying, you know, I can't prove it didn't happen. That's right, yeah. Right. But since, uh, I, you know, since I can't find an explanation for it, I'm just going to chalk it up to, to it being, you know, believing in, faith. in some non-existent being. Right.
1: And faith, in some scientific circles, faith is a bad thing. Faith is not fact. As a matter of fact, the review uh, appeared about a month ago of my latest book, They Flew. Oh, and the guy just tore it apart because his final sentence, faith versus fact, right? Levitation, bilocation, all this stuff is just a matter of faith. It's not a fact. In the same way that these NDEs are not a fact, it's faith. Well, give me a break. Yeah, perhaps we, we have not come up with the right equipment for measuring certain types of brain activity. But I think it's one of the fundamental findings of brain science, of the study of the brain, is that the brain is an electrical apparatus. That's how the brain functions. Without the electricity, there is no function. But perhaps there is something that's not electric going on. I have to be a double-edged skeptic, right, and say, well, perhaps, yeah. But to me, given the information that we have, And given my own experience, all right, these NDEs are very real, or as many people have said, realer than real. There's also the ineffability, the inability to express or explain what the experience really is and feels like, which is very similar, if not in many cases, exact to what mystics say. I can't really explain it to you. It's unexplainable. It's another state of mind. It's another dimension of knowing. Very different from our sensory knowing
0: in the
1: space-time material universe.
0: Well, for me at least, I think one of the most compelling things about near-death experiences, and and I can't say I am 100% confident that they do exist, but I think one of the things about it that makes you think is... I've come across, I've read, and just recently I saw a video of of a gentleman, of a professor, of a university professor who had a near-death experience, and he died in the hospital, a devout atheist. Right. Complete atheist. And he came back to life with an incredible story. He spoke about how, you know, he was looked down on people that were of religious faith, had no respect at all for religion, just was completely entrenched in his atheism and had no doubts about it whatsoever until that experience. So for someone to turn their back on something that they felt so strongly about, just based on an experience that they had, not on months or years of smaller experiences, you know, during life that led them to a change of heart. But to have, you know, a a short period of time, minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's usually just minutes because your body can't survive, can't come back to life after a certain amount of time, only a few minutes. Then in that period, they can completely change. So to me, that's compelling. Oh,
1: for me too. And I, I think even the most skeptical scientist Such as Dr. Nelson, friend, you know, like you said, uh, kind of has to weasel out in some way out of the evidence presented by anyone who returns from the dead with this kind of account of what happened. And the commonality of it throughout the earth is the most amazing thing. And it often happens unexpectedly. You know, people who die in accidents. There's a great book. The title is uh, Changed in a Flash. And it's a woman who was hit by lightning in Houston, Texas, and died as dead as anybody could be, and had an NDE that was a very nice one. And she's Jewish. And she had a very Jewish kind of NDE, (laughs) which she describes in great detail in her book. And then there's comment also offered by a historian of religion at Rice University, uh, Jeffrey Kripal, which puts her own description of the NDE into a religious context, and not necessarily Jewish or Christian, but just the religion as a human experience.
0: I'm glad you brought that up, because I wanted to ask you in the studies you've read and research you've done on this topic, does the faith that the person have play a very large role in, in what that experience is. For instance, if a if a Muslim has a near death experience, do they see Muhammad? If you know a Mormon has a near death experience, do they see, you know, the angel Moroni? Have you come uh,
1: across that? Well what I've come across in different accounts is that yes, the religion of the person, if the person is religious. If the person is religious, one of the things that can happen is they, they meet a religious figure from their religious tradition. And that's also true of mystical experiences. This is why some scholars who study mysticism have argued that there is no such thing as mysticism singular. There are mysticisms, plural, with an S, mysticisms, because the experiences, while similar in many respects, on a larger scheme of things, in the particulars, experiences are very key into a very specific set of religious beliefs. So, for instance, I have yet to find an account of, let's say, a Buddhist NDE who um, gets to the other side and sees Jesus, and vice versa, a Christian who is stunned to discover that instead of meeting Jesus, they're meeting the Buddha. (laughs) So it raises all sorts of very, very interesting questions uh, about many different aspects of mystical experiences, as well as of life itself and reality and what, what might happen to all of us when we cross the line to the undiscovered country, as Shakespeare called it.
0: Well, I think it's also important that we keep in mind that mystical experiences, whether they be through mysticism or near-death experience, mystical experiences aren't always with God the Creator that's right. There are other spiritual forces out there, uh, and that's not to say, not to claim that everybody who has a near-death experience, that doesn't include the god of my faith, is, is having a mystical experience with Satan, <laughs> for yeah, lack well, of a better term. But it's important to note that these mystical experiences, from what we've talked about over the past, over all these episodes are not necessarily simply an interaction with the good side of the spiritual world. Uh, It could also be with the bad side of the spiritual world. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Actually, I had a student many years ago who took my
1: mysticism course. At the end of the semester, he gave me a book written by a person who uh, had had a near-death experience and went to hell. (laughs) I've had this book for like 12 years. I can't bring myself to open it much less to read it. It's there on my bookshelf. But I don't, I don't want to read uh, about these negative experiences, because, yeah, the world is full of evil, and uh, so is mysticism. Christian mysticism is, is so riddled with accounts of mystics having to fend off the devil and having horrible experiences. As a matter of fact, I can't remember if we talked about this when we had our podcast on Teresa of Avila. But one of her most profound mystical experiences was that she found herself in hell. And her hell was a tiny little cubbyhole in a stinking, dirty, muddy place, very hot, where she would have to spend eternity in basically what was like a coffin carved into the wall. And it was after that experience that she actually kind of turned her life around as a nun and began to pray more frequently and more fervently, as she in that experience, said this is God was showing her the place that was for her, that was her her little niche for eternity. God, that's scary. That's a very modern hell too, because it's it's not communal it's uh let's say it's a designer hell. God has designed specially for you. And you're stuck there for eternity, as I always like to add, without a psychiatrist, right? And you have all of eternity to rue all the bad choices you've made. I find these possibilities very scary, but perhaps also, you know, a very real part of the human
0: experience. You did speak about that vision that she had, and Uh that has stuck with me. That image has has stuck with me uh, ever since It really is scary. And to close out, I wanted to get your thoughts because as I've mentioned throughout this episode, I've read some books about near-death experiences. I've seen some videos of people talking about their near-death experiences. And one of the things that kind of, I guess the best term to use would be bothers me is when these individuals are talking about their near-death experiences and their vision what they experienced, what they heard, quote unquote, Christ say or, or God say, contradicts doctrine, contradicts what, what, yeah. what you know about your faith, your religion. And I wanted to see, uh, of course, that happens in mysticism as well. We have yes. myst- yeah. mystics come out and saying they heard things that just are against the church. And we've had several mystics on our episodes that have run into trouble. With the Vatican and and what they've seen, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. How do you well see that? Yeah, I
1: well I see it in very. It's almost like getting a look at something from standing in a different place in a room, and you get a different perspective on it. There are many different things that are going on when somebody comes back from the dead and proposes, uh, for instance. Oh, yeah, there's no Trinity, <laughs> and they're you know they're Catholic and they say, oh oh, no, there was no Trinity. Nah, there's no such thing. No, of course, there are mystics who come back and, you know, propose things that are patently heretical or against the church's teachings. There are several things that could be going on at the very same time. One, purely materialist interpretation. They're making things up. It's very easy. I I always tell my students in my mysticism class, you know, you, you could write a mystical text after taking this course. And you know, just copy the, the style and, and the things that other mystics say, and you can end up being, you know, considered a mystic. So, yeah, th- there are many cases of frauds, and those have always been very carefully weeded out by church authorities. But then there is the possibility that somebody could be having a, a mystical experience that they can't really comprehend fully, because one of the Earmarks of a genuine mystical experience is that it's ineffable. Ineffable means you cannot describe it. So they might be slipping up in their description of what they experienced. And they might not know theology. And they interpret whatever happens to them the way they do. With near-death experiences, I think now there is such a flood of literature, of first-person accounts of NDEs. And not just books, but they get turned into movies. They get turned into TV series. And once you've read several NDEs, you you can make up all sorts of stories. There's also that side to it. This is why I think it's so significant that NDEs have received five decades of scientific research and that you have these veridical, out-of-body experiences where there's no way that this person could have seen and heard what was going on. So they're not coming back and saying, oh, yes, uh, oh, I was in this lovely place with green fields and, and unicorns and rainbows and so on. That could be made up. But, hey, you were talking to my roommate about that spaghetti sauce on your tie. That's two very different things. So it's very easy for individuals who might who have an experience like this to come back with a jumble of ways of explaining what they experienced.
0: Well, I think it's safe to say that whether you believe in near-death experiences or not, they definitely at least for me fall into the mystical realm, especially with the cases the scientifically proven cases of of veridical evidence. So it's been a great episode to kick off the new year and the new season of the podcast. And what do you have for us on the next episode?
1: Well, I think we should stay uh, close to the present moment for the next time also. And there are a number of individuals who present us with not scientific evidence, but actually experiences that one would expect not to happen in the 20th century or the 19th century. Because that's one of the curious things about the history of Christian mysticism is that it survives the rise of skepticism and materialism it not only survives but in some cases uh, seems to thrive precisely on denial of possibility of such experiences so i'll keep our listeners a little bit in suspense about who exactly next time
0: but we will be moving into the 19th and 20th century well it sounds like another great episode and once again i want to wish you a happy new year carlos i want to wish our listeners a happy new year And thank you for listening to the Christian Mysticism Podcast. If you have any questions for Dr. Ayer, you'll find our email address in the show notes. Just send it over and we'll try to answer it in a future episode. And don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode of the Christian Mysticism Podcast.